friends, future friends, haters, and ex-lovers, welcome back to another episode of Crimes of the Heart. I'm your host, Rory Uphold. And if you're just tuning in, I host this podcast because I have a black belt in rejection, a PhD in getting cheated on, and I've spent well over 10,000 hours in the hellfire we call dating. In other words, I'm an expert when it comes to Crimes of the Heart. And today, you're going to hear a wild story from Maddie, whose information you can find in the show notes. But before we jump into it, I wanted to say congrats to Soul and Tiffany for signing up for the mailing list and winning a book of your choosing from last week's guest, Ian Kerner. And if you listened to last week, you know that Ian is a renowned sex therapist, an incredible author, and his episode is not one to be missed. And in keeping with the theme of giveaways, we have another one. Pew, 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 pew. That's right. Today's episode is sponsored by Higher Love. What is Higher Love? Great question. Higher Love is a female-founded sexual wellness brand based out of LA, built on the belief that every human deserves to feel good in their own skin which I think is dope. They make pleasure products designed to help you connect your mind with your body. And they'll be giving away a dream wand kit. What's in a dream wand kit? Let me tell you. A dream wand kit contains an incredible two-in-one vibrating wand with the option for internal or external stimulation. It also comes with a heart-shaped compact mirror to encourage you to look at your own body, a cute sticker pack, and connection cards designed to help you reflect inwards because, uh, Self-love is a superpower. So be sure to check out at Higher Love Vibes on Instagram, which is of course linked in the show notes. And if you'd like to be eligible to win a dream wand kit, simply go to the show's website and sign up for the mailing list. And I will randomly pick a name out of a bowl like I did tonight and announce the winner on next week's episode. And for those of you that are already signed up, you are automatically in the running to win and will continue to be in the running for a future giveaway. So mm, no worries there. Second thing, to the lovely ladies who came up to me at dinner this weekend, um, you truly made my week and I am still thinking about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm also really grateful that I was on a date prior because at least I look somewhat normal. <laughs> because you are both babes and if I was in gremlin mode, I would have been, ugh. Oh. So sad. Also, of course my listeners are babes. Duh. Like, what did I expect? Very fucking cool. Very, very cool. Um, seriously, thank you. You guys are the best. That was just awesome. Okay, today's crime. Today we have a very specific, yet oh so common crime. It has to do with one of the top reasons people get divorced. And it's also the subject of next week's episode. So I thought I'd get someone who's been successfully married to help me weigh in on this crime. Today's special guest is a Golden Globe Award winner, a TCA Award winner, a Critics' Choice Television Award winner, and a Primetime Emmy winner. TLDR, she's a fucking winner. She's an actress, a singer, a writer, an author, and an incredible comedian. She's also a wife, a mom, the host of an incredible New Year's party where I met some of my now great friends, and a general force of good. I am talking about none other than Miss Rachel Bloom. Welcome to Crimes of the Heart. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. I feel like you are a disruptor. 
And I mean that, I mean that in the like highest, which is ironic because I feel like that's what every like tech bro hustle grind CEO is like dreaming to be. And it's the biggest thing in Knives Out, right? We're the disruptors. <laughs> yeah. But I really feel like you truly, truly are. Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. I hope to destroy the Mona Lisa someday. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh my God. Wow. Way to really ruin that for everyone. I don't give a shit. If you haven't seen it by now, I mean, I don't care. That's true. That's true. So let's, I don't know, let's listen to this story. Yeah. Okay, great. Hit it. A quick disclaimer. Our episodes deal with serious incidents and triggering subject matter. If you feel like at any time you need support, please do not hesitate to grab a cocktail, share this with a friend, or contact us with your own stories. We are here to listen and liberate. Contact information can be found in the show notes. The names in the following episode have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. I didn't view this as toxic at the time because we never fought about money. It didn't cause any issues or any drama, but I also didn't know that's not normal. That's not what a normal relationship should look like. And now I look back on that with a fresh set of eyes and think, oh yeah, that was kind of toxic. And I don't want to say manipulative, but it was just not kind and not the chivalrous thing to do, especially like from a man. This is Maddie. Our story takes place in Canada, home to the loony, otherwise known as a gold $1 coin named after the solitary loon engraved on one side of it, which is appropriate given today's crime, because Webster's alternate definition of a loon is a silly or foolish person. And today's story will have some of you thinking it is downright loony tunes. I met Kyle when I was in university. Maddie and Kyle are both in the same elite finance program. And though Maddie is a junior and Kyle is a senior, their paths often cross. And immediately I was like, oh, he's pretty cute. And he was also quite like popular at the school. Everybody liked him. He had a good reputation. And seeing his ambition was very attractive to me. Kyle's a star student, which is a huge turn on to Maddie because she's always been driven and drawn to overachievers. One day, Kyle and Maddie are hanging out in a group with their classmates. And we went to this bar and we played this game of Never Have I Ever. Someone asks about going to a strip club. And I was like, no, I have not been to a strip club. So everybody who I was with said, all right, we gotta go. And they do. There's a drink minimum, but... I didn't want another drink. I had enough. Plus, I didn't have any cash. So Kyle buys Maddie her drink. I remember being like, oh, that's nice. And under the neon lights of the club, Maddie and Kyle share their first kiss. We made out at the strip club. And then after that, he was like, let's leave together. They head back to Maddie's place and proceed to hook up. It's great. 
So they decide to hang out again. One of the first actual dates that we went on, we went to the movies and it was our first sort of public outing together. And this is before we made things official. This is just when we were hanging out. They're standing in line for tickets. And I was kind of thinking like, is he going to buy my movie ticket? You know, he asked me to come and he didn't. He bought his and then I went up and I paid for mine. So then I was like, okay, got it. They enjoy their movie date and pretty soon, Maddie and Kyle are spending a lot of time together. Like two, three nights a week, we would see each other, kind of do not necessarily dates, but like, you know, we would hang out. We'd go to the movies. We would have fun together. This continues for a year. And despite the amount of time they're spending together, it's still casual. Maddie's talking to other guys, and she assumes that Kyle is doing the same. Until one day, he ghosts. So I was like, okay, whatever. Because we were never really anything super serious. Like, we are having fun together, but I always thought he was super emotionally devoid. A few months go by, and then Maddie and Kyle run into each other at a party. They flirt, and by the end of the night, Kyle makes it clear that he wants to date Maddie again. We started hanging out again, but this time was different. This time he put in a lot of effort. So he actually, you know, took me on these dates. He would make me dinner. He was opening up a lot more emotionally. And I was like, oh, this guy is a real person. Kyle is wooing her, but Maddie continues to see other people because... I just wasn't really invested. I didn't really care. But as time goes on and Kyle continues to show effort... I sort of came around to being like, okay, I think he's legit in this time. And then, on Valentine's Day, Kyle asks Maddie to be exclusive. <gasps> and I was kind of shocked because I was like, oh, damn, I, I did not expect that to happen because you have, <laughs> for like the past year and a half, been very noncommittal. But I said yes and broke it off with a couple of other guys that I was just casually seeing at the time. February 15th, their first day as boyfriend and girlfriend, Kyle and Maddie go out for pho and... It's like $12 for like the bowl of soup or whatever. And as they walk into the restaurant, Maddie can't help but wonder... He's my boyfriend now. Is he going to pay for my bowl of soup? He doesn't. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's not how it's going to work. So I paid for my own bowl of soup and that was that. But on the inside, Maddie felt conflicted. Because... One part of me felt a little bit disappointed in the sense that, oh, you know, we're boyfriend-girlfriend now. It would be nice to have somebody to just pay for my soup. I can pay for it. That's fine. But a little part of me was kind of hoping that he would. Especially since Maddie had been to the same pho restaurant a week earlier with a platonic guy friend who had bought her soup as a friendly gesture. So she was thinking, Huh, my guy friend paid for me, but my boyfriend isn't. But on the other hand, The other part to that emotion was a little bit thinking, maybe this is a good thing. Maddie's last relationship had been with a man who paid for everything. He spent lots of money on her, but he held it over her, especially in times of conflict, and often used it against her. So it kind of set this precedent in my mind of when you let somebody pay for you, they're just gonna use it against you. So when Kyle didn't pay for me, I thought, okay, you know what, this is good. There's probably gonna be less complications that come from this. And in some ways, she was right. They had a pretty uneventful relationship. It was calm and they rarely fought. So at that point, 
immediately once we started going out, it was pretty clear that he's not going to pay for things. I'm paying for my own things and vice versa. When they'd go out to dinner or drinks, he would pay for it normally and then I would e-transfer him for half. And so that became sort of the routine of ours, which looking back was a big financial mistake of mine because I didn't get the credit card points and he did. And again, this didn't bother Maddie, but very quickly, this progressed into... Nickel and diming. I would say like within the first maybe six months of us officially dating. For example... I was e-transferring him so much that he kind of like tacked on other things when he asked me to e-transfer him. So maybe we'd go for dinner, he'd pay for it, I would e-transfer him half, and he'd be like, oh, and I also brought a bottle of wine to your house before we left for dinner, so can you e-transfer me for half of the bottle of wine as well. Which progressed into... If we're just doing a night in at his or at mine, let's say, he would bring a bottle of wine, then he would say, okay, I brought a bottle of wine, you owe me half. When asked if he'd ever taken her out to dinner, Maddie could count the examples on less than two hands. He did take me out, obviously, for my birthday, for Valentine's Day, for our anniversary. So that was like three nights a year that he definitely treated me to a dinner and maybe a couple other times throughout the year. But it, it would be like a known thing. And I'd be like, oh, I'm so, I'm so lucky he's paying for my dinner. Their egalitarian relationship around money was so extreme that Maddie can acutely recall all of the times in which Kyle didn't ask her to pay him back. I was at his friend's house and his friend ordered pizza Pizza. Me and Kyle had a pizza to ourselves, and I remember he never charged me for half of it. Like, he paid his friend for that pizza, but he never asked me to pay him for the, for some of that pizza. And still to this day, that sticks out in my mind as being like, did he forget? Or was he just being really nice and he didn't ask me to pay for it? Looking back, Maddie can see how odd this is, but in the moment... I never saw this as being weird. But she also wasn't talking about it with her friends. It was just so routine in our relationship that it never even crossed my mind that it would be something I would bring up to people. But now that I think about it, I don't know if his friends ever knew that I was paying him back later. And then the spreadsheet started. It's a little over a year into their relationship. And Kyle and Maddie decide to go on a vacation to California. You're obviously going to keep track of the hotels, the flights, because those are big expenses that, you know, it's normal to split those, whatnot. And there can be a lot of like sort of little charges that go along with that. So it makes sense to have those be in spreadsheets. And so that is kind of where the Excel started. But after they get back to Canada, the spreadsheets stuck around and that just became a normal thing that happened so every week kyle would send maddie an excel spreadsheet itemizing all of her expenses this would include groceries he'd purchased in order to cook them dinner or bottles of wine he brought over for movie nights. It wasn't crazy to me because I worked in finance, he worked in finance, and using Excel, making spreadsheets, it's so normal to us. And with a lot of these jobs, you have to be so precise that it just seemed more normal than I think it would to a lot of other people because that is just what we did in our everyday jobs and lives anyways. Fast forward. 
It's been two years, and Kyle is taking Maddie to meet his parents, who live in another province of Canada. We were staying with his mom for one night, and I wanted to make a good impression, so of course I bought like a whole gift basket. I spent like $40, $45 on the gift basket and also brought a bottle of wine just to say thank you for, you know, having me over into your house. They arrive. Maddie gives Kyle's mom her gifts. And then they all head out to dinner. Which we paid for because it was more expensive. All in all, it was a lovely evening. And the next morning, when Maddie ambles downstairs... There was a few things just like laid out on the table, like some Wonder Bread, a couple of bananas, some yogurt or whatnot. I just had a piece of toast and a banana, and then we went on with our trip. They visit a couple other cities, and when they return home, as expected, Kyle sends Maddie an Excel spreadsheet for the trip. I'm reading all the lines and the line items in it, and I read this line in the Excel sheet, and it said, breakfast for, I believe it was $3.23. And I was like, breakfast? Like, I was trying to wrap my mind around, okay, like, what? Did, did he buy me a muffin somewhere? I really couldn't remember what that transaction was for. She messages Kyle about it, and he tells her it's for the breakfast she had at his mother's house. And I kind of took a step back and was like, what? Like, is this a joke? His mom is charging me for the breakfast that I ate there? Like, this is this is really weird. She presses Kyle on the breakfast charge, and he tells her that he always pays for his parents' meals when he goes home. However, he'd regularly eaten at Maddie's parents' house, and he'd never offered to pay for his meals there. This has crossed the line. and I, I don't want to pay for food that your mom put out on the table in the morning. Like, that is insane. To me. But she does it anyway. It's $3. I'll pay it. It's not a big deal, but it just feels weird to me. And I guess in his defense, he was like, no, no, like, you're right. You don't have to pay it. And I, I did because it's $3. Who cares? But it didn't come without consequences. To be honest, towards the end of our relationship, we did not have a very active sex life. I think a lot of that was because the relationship felt a lot more platonic than romantic. Though there was zero drama and zero fighting, Maddie rarely felt like having sex with Kyle. I walked around thinking, oh, there must be a problem with me. I just, I don't feel like having sex. There must be an issue with me. But uh, no, it kind of makes sense when I look back on it. They continue on like this in a fiscally tit-for-tat type relationship until one day, Kyle randomly and unceremoniously breaks up with Maddie. And that was the last time I ever talked to him. Looking back, I don't think if we had gotten married that any of this would have changed. I don't even know what's gonna happen with him and the person he ends up with because it would be insane to be in a married couple and still be kind of like, well, you bought that birthday present for our daughter, so I'll buy the Christmas present or whatnot. That is so weird and I don't think that that's something that would change with him over time. Maddie is happy to report that she's in a very healthy relationship with a man who regularly treats her to dinners and doesn't make a big deal out of it. The same way that you can be generous with your time, with your words, money is a part of that. So it's just like a nice thing to be generous sometimes. And like with partnerships, but even just with friendship. So I ask you, dear listeners, what would you do if your partner tried to charge you for Wonder Bread and a banana? And what is it about money that gets people acting straight up loony? 
Wow. I mean, what's crazy is like I knew where it was going and obviously I forgot. And then as I was listening to it, I was like, this is insane. This is insane. It made me want to flip the table. Well, it comes from his parents. Clearly he's, I mean, if the parents are charging her for breakfast, right, that's his mother relaying, hey, so she ate a piece of bread and a banana. So he's, he's been taught wrong by his parents. I didn't even think about that. Because cause that's the parents. He's not keeping track of that. The parents are. It's so funny because I've been with my husband for 15 years and we've been married f- for eight. I've lost track. So well, you, I read your book. So so you combine your finances. right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So you combine your finances. The, <laughs> the idea, of, I have to hope that if this guy got married, the idea of like, you owe me you used four diapers I, today. I, like, I don't even know what that would be. We did. I did keep track of money early in our relationship. It was more of a guilt on my end because he paid for a lot of stuff. Mm. But because I was still in college. I've been with him for a long time. Yeah, so yeah. I was still in college. He was in his early, in his mid-20s, but to a college student that was like a billionaire. Yeah, that's like an adult. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like a, yeah. So there was a lot of, there was an imbalance. And then when we got together... He was still making more money, so there were times we'd, we'd, I was always covering a disproportionately small amount of the rent, and sometimes he'd spot me. Yeah, I mean, the idea. And was it ever, I mean, was that ever a big deal? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. He was just menschy. You just get menschy. And I think that if you're strapped for cash, you talk about it. This guy's insane, and his parents are insane, and clearly, I don't know if they grew up. Could you imagine if I came over to your house and I brought wine and then you like, charged me and for then it. later I sent you a Venmo request? <laughs> this guy is so I, I'd love to know, you know, there's this I feel like the improv term is like, if then what else? Okay. Right. There had to have been other weird this guy's not just like a normal guy and he does this. He's doing other weird shit. I know. I kind of I asked questions about that and it didn't seem like it. I mean I know that he was very driven and like top of his class in the top finance program at this school. Hmm. But did he come from being extremely poor? Yes. So, okay, that's why. Yeah. But I think that, look, that makes sense, I guess. But if it's going to be an egalitarian, look, I get it. Okay. It's an egalitarian relationship. You're going to split everything on the middle. If he's going to charge her for being at his parents' house, then she should, should be, then he, yeah. then he should volunteer, I'm going to pay you. When for your we go to your parents' house, yeah. And he's not doing that. I know. So that's the hypocrisy. Because if that's the way you see the world, great. Then you're going to volunteer to Venmo or, or e-transfer to her then. Right. But he never did that. No. So I also yeah. think it's when she, there was like a little line where she goes and it was a bad financial decision because I was always e-transferring to him. So I never got the points. He was ahead of her and a finance guy. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's, you know, raking in all these points <sighs> and then getting reimbursed. Like he's double dipping in a way. The whole thing is wild. But also, I want to know when he ghosted her. I dated a guy like this. Really? Yeah, it was kind of cold. And then he like ghosted me. And I basically was like, you're breaking up with me, right? And like I kind of forced him to actually yeah. break up with Please me. Please have a conversation. And he had a lot of issues. I mean, mm-hmm. he it was he was a a repressed person. So look, I've been in I've been with the same guy for 15 years. So dating advice is I, I was never on an app. Oh I mean that gosh. that's how long I've been with my husband. Yeah, but that is so sick. <laughs> that's that's incredible. I've never been I've never I I you know, 
I, I would say I took the lazy way out, but he's just the guy that I yeah. found in, in college. I wish I could have done it both ways. Like, I'm so glad that I've been able to have all of the experiences I've had. And I've had so many, like, terrible, terrible, terrible ones. But even those have been exciting or they've taught me a lot of things. But I had this thought as I was thinking about your life. And I was like, man, I really wish I could have done both. It's really cool that you've been able to spend so much of your life with the same person. I just think that that's awesome. Yeah, it's wonderful. But it's I don't ever try to give relationship advice because I just got lucky. Like, I don't think it's a testament. To, I mean, I'm sure there's we work on our relationship. Yeah. And, but we were friends first. We just naturally click mm-hmm. when we work on our relationship obviously especially since we've had a kid i'm sure we, we we are we are extremely communicative but at a certain point i just i found the guy because mm-hmm. my guys before that were not the guy <laughs> so we've heard yeah. <laughs> yeah and any kind of it's funny because i made a show all about dating and those stories were very much taken from my early early 20s mm-hmm. and then kind of yes anded my second improv term. I don't know what's wrong with me. But it kind of extrapolated. Yeah. Um, and my writing partner, Aline, was, uh, had been with her husband since her late 20s. And so I am, I have a very um, very basic bitch Midwestern life in, in, in a way, <laughs> having been with the same guy. And I hear about these, oh, these actors in these relationships and they're always cheating on each other. And I, I just heard of a, I don't know, a recent writer I kind of a writer filmmaker I kind of know who she on her husband she's with another person now and I was like what did what what, what are vows yeah you made a vow oh, <laughs> I'm so I'm so very uh yeah if you're gonna and if you want an open relationship I was just gonna say, say that. I think what's crazy about that like right now in 2023 is it has never been more acceptable it has never been more normal mainstream whatever have you to be in an open relationship. Yes. And so there is no, I, I had, I was talking to someone a couple years ago who confided in me. He was like, I don't know if I'm meant for monogamy. And I went, you don't have to be. No, you There's don't. There's a thing called being poly. Yeah. And you can opt to be in relationships with people who are also poly. There are apps for that. Specifically for that. Unless yeah. you get off on being in a monogamous relationship and cheating. Which is a whole which other... Which is a whole other thing, which is yeah. not being in an open relationship. And so I'm very kind of Midwestern, but but I'm like, if you want to be a poly, just be poly. <laughs> but if you're going to but if you're gonna make a vow, you make a vow, you know? I would never, ever describe you as Midwestern or, what did you say, basic bitch? I, I mean, guess I, I, guess I just, I believe of... in being ethical in this, and, and I believe in being ethical in the way that fancy actors, and even not fancy actors, just yeah. through... Friends and friends of friends, people in Hollywood just are terrible in their relationships because they they feel it. Oh, I gotta kiss this person because I feel it. What? Do you not feel guilt, sir? I mean, I would love to ask a lot of people that, and they and they don't. I also have a crippling sense of guilt. Like if I were to ever do anything, I would I would feel so guilty, which yeah, which goes yeah. into my feelings of OCD. Like they sure, definitely yes, overlap. Of course, yeah. So there are some people out there who just don't have my kind of guilt bordering bordering on intense anxiety and I, know, I, I think and I, get I think that. you succeeded in spite of not being a psychopath in sp- yes I should put that on a card <laughs> yeah please do but yeah this thing of nickel and diming it's so interesting it's crazy to me I also the the red flag to me is not Oof. telling the friends if I have yeah whenever you I've know been if you're not real- telling your friends you know that you know do you know down, they go what yeah but also, she didn't seem to be super into this guy. So that's my other question to her: is she they spent were together for like two three years, and a half years? And they well, they were like hooking up off and on for a year. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. And then 
together as boyfriend and girlfriend for it sounds like two years. I think it was three. So I I guess that's my question to her is why? I know. I was like, where do you get the chill? (laughs) I've never been that chill in any relationship ever, ever. But at some point, if you're not happy with this guy, you probably developed a crush on another person. And at what point? That's the thing. I think she really, when I was talking to her about this, earnestly, honestly, she's like, I see it now. It's weird. Hmm. But she was young. I think she was impressionable. And I think she was in it and just did not know. It's like sometimes you don't know how toxic things are until you're out of it. This guy, I talk about in my book, the condom broke. And by the way, I had a very similar story. So we went to the drugstore because this is, it wasn't over the counter. You had to ask the pharmacist morning after pill. Mm-hmm. And he found out the cost. The cost was what, $100? This guy okay. was four years older than I was. He was definitely in a more financially well off spot. And he, he was like $100. And he, that was the moment our relationship changed. I mean, this is a whole other thing because we were in like a secret relationship, but sure. he was very bitter that I didn't have the money to pay for the morning after pill. He was also Catholic. And so I think felt shitty we were doing the morning after pill at all. What? But no, he really shamed me for how much the morning after pill cost. And it hit the the, the, the tone. As if, you're, as if you wanted to a dar- a, take it. A e, darkness it. came over his face and the relationship never recovered. This is not my husband. <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously. You have to clarify that. That's, wow. Yeah. That's a moment for sure. Yeah. Holy cow. Catholic. I mean. All boys school. Then he shouldn't be having sex. Well. Yeah, like if you can't be nice to people or realize that you're an equal participant, then don't participate. Yeah, yeah. Most people need intense therapy. There should just be mandatory therapy. That's for everyone. That's the conclusion I always come to, and it's like a broken record. And I, I talk about, I talk about this so much, but I just mandatory therapy. I know it. It, it is a real cool through line, and I think a lot of your work. We're all messed up. Yeah, we are all messed up. I don't think there's a single person who doesn't need at least a year of therapy in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Or or more. Or way more. Yeah, or way more. Yeah, I mean, should they put Prozac in the water? Probably. (laughs) Could you imagine? My psychiatrist said, I was like, I love Prozac. She goes, oh, they should just put it in the water. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay, well, switching gears a little bit. You said you were a sex-obsessed child. Yeah. And... I love this detail that you weren't like other sex-obsessed children. You were the kind that read books. Yeah, my parents were very encouraging of literacy in our household, and I didn't have a ton of friends, so at the time, the mall... I I grew up next to a mall, but like a tiny mall. Now it's a big mall, but back then it was a tiny mall. I'm aware. And one of its few stores... (laughs) Oh, you know the exact mall, of course. So there was a B B Dalton Mm -hmm. bookstore, and I would just spend hours reading books and... There was a whole like adolescent sex book section. And so I read a lot about sexuality from the adolescent sex books. And it gave me a very healthy relationship with sex from doing that. Really? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I feel pretty good about when I lost my virginity. I mean, I also, I, you know, have the luck to not be one of what is one in four women in the U.S. are assaulted. Uh, I have the luck to not be one of. the stat is actually one in. The unofficial stat based on a very prominent treatment centers one and two so i have really the, so i'm very lucky to not be one of those one and two mm-hmm. so putting that aside yeah. i also knew a lot about how sex worked i just i don't know i read a lot about it my parents were honest not like too honest but when i asked questions they answered and i lost my virginity when i i lost my virginity in college we used a condom like i was always just very responsible because i knew about it 
I don't know how you lost your virginity, but you took someone's virginity with someone in the room, and I lost my virginity. In Wait, a bunk I took bed. someone's virginity. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> with a, someone in the room. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the, if you'll have to get her book and read it, it's amazing. Um, but there's a part where you talk about. Uh, taking a guy's virginity and your roommate was in the room yes. and I laughed because I lost my virginity in a in the bottom bunk of a bunk bed and someone was sleeping on top perfect and, and I was like oh look at that <laughs> yep yeah you don't have a lot of space when you're young no you, gotta... you don't yeah I know <sighs> what a, I look back on that now I'm like that was what an insane do move. I say that in the book that I took someone's virginity you do yeah I don't know if she was in the room at the time it was definitely in the room I shared with my college roommate was she in the room yeah, that might be a lie. Okay. Well. <laughs> For comedic effect, I definitely had sex with someone. But I had sex with someone in the same room. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, man, college. College, man. Oh, yeah. I did not spend a lot of time there because I'm a college dropout, but whatever. Going back to what I was just saying, I think something that struck me as just so on brand with this podcast is so you felt pretty confident in your sexuality and you'd read all of these books and you knew how to pleasure yourself. Yes. And there's two things. One, you say sex is not taboo in America, but pleasure is. I read that. That was a quote I read, I think, from a woman who maybe owns like a sex shop in France or something. I think that's a hundred percent. Sex is fine because that's to be trite, the patriarchy, right? That's penis and vagina. That's sex. Right. Pleasure, the idea of the idea or I'm sorry, penis and vagina, that's procreation. Sure. Right? So that's that's like religious. Yeah. Pleasure for the sake of pleasure is. Yes. And especially when it comes to female pleasure, because a woman doesn't have to have an orgasm in order to make a baby. Yeah. And, and yeah. And all so why would times, it matter? Why yeah. would it matter? So why the fact that they're that women have a body part solely reserved for pleasure? How dare we? How dare they? It is a it's a it's and a also thing. I don't yeah. get it. It's a fucking button. What do I fucking do? I just, I don't, do I go boop, boop, boop? Oh, that doesn't work? I don't want to figure it out. Now I guess something's wrong with you. Well, that's the thing is, so I'd read all these books that were like clitoris, clitoris, clitoris. Yes. And so I learned how to masturbate from a book. It was like, girls will massage their clitoris. And I was like, oh, I'd never tried that. And then I tried it when I was like 11 and a half, I remember. And I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. This is the best thing in the world. It wasn't until I started becoming sexually active. Yeah. And I didn't know any better. I'd been masturbating and I said to guys, you know, touch my clitoris. And they'd say, oh, you're tricky. And I was like, wait, all of the books I read when I was 12, 13 said this is how it's done. done." So I was almost reverse shamed because I went into it thinking I was normal and knowing I was normal. And then guys, because they'd been, I think, with so many women with faking orgasms, thought I was, uh, oh, you're, oh, you're, oh, you're, you're you're a difficult one. Yeah. I can't believe you got gaslit by all the women who lied to all the men before you were with them. Like, yeah. that's crazy to me. Had I not, I mean, look, had I not read a book about my clitoris, would I eventually have figured it out? Probably. Yeah, probably. But later, I didn't really figure it out until my, like, mid-20s. So that makes sense, right? If you don't know, and also you're taught you should come from sex. I mean, I, I'm trying to write a show about the clitoris. I have, a, I literally have a sketch show about the clitoris <laughs> that was, like, with a network, and then they passed, of course, and I'm trying to put it somewhere else, but it's a bad time for sketch right now, and <laughs> always a bad time for clitorises. Um, but the clitoris is amazing because the nerves go way way underneath yeah so what a lot of scientists like that iceberg it's the iceberg it looks like a penguin yeah so any even if you quote unquote come from sex right just a penis in your vagina or something in your vagina what that actually is is it's the nerves of your clitoris extend long enough into your vagina that that can actually you can come from that alone but it's all the clitoris 
It's yeah. just depending on your anatomy. And some people are, a or, I think, anorgasmic, can't orgasm at all. And we should have acceptance for that, too. And this this prize of the idea of orgasm being the most important part of sex is also very of the patriarchy because for men, it is. It, it climaxes to this explosion. But like, so if I can only come from clitoral stimulation, does that mean I don't like penetration? No. But even though like penetration isn't the only means to my end, <laughs> my end, like I still like it. Yeah. So there yeah. are just so many. I mean, I, I could go on and on about this topic, but it comes from a place of reading, being allowed to read books as a kid of what was normal and then having otherwise enlightened guys, you know, guys who attended the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU say like, the what? Yeah. I mean, that was a lot of my experience, too. And I found that women like my girlfriends and I didn't really talk about it or I look back on those conversations and realize I think we were all just lying to each other. There's a lot of shame. Yeah. A or we just didn't know. Like I would have an yeah. experience that was maybe like better than the rest. And now I would look back and be like, oh, that would just, I would never include that in. Like it wasn't that great, but it was better than whatever had happened at the time. And so then I would think that that was that that was it or that was that was me having good sex. And it was like, wow, I was just really fumbling in the dark there. Yeah. Wish I had read some of the same books. There there are really good books out there, but I never discussed it. I mean, I I. <laughs> When I was, oh, I wrote the foreword for this book called Moan, uh, oh, which is a book compiled Emma. by my friend Emma Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All amazing. Orgasm. She's amazing. And I wrote the foreword for it. And my mother bought the book and she's like, oh, I, I saw you read the book and it was interesting. And I said to my own mother, we were, I don't know, we were talking about sex very kindly. And I said, you know, all orgasms come from the clitoris. And my mom, without throwing under the bus, she was like, really? Oh, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like there there was this dawning of, wait, it's not me. And that's I crazy. think that's a lot of people. A lot of women. I did a, before the pandemic, I did this interview with this doc, this sex therapist, Dr. Lori Mintz, who's amazing. And I did an interview with her at UCLA for all UCLA students. And this is, you know, Gen Z, like they're pretty with it. And some of the stuff she was saying about the clitoris and pleasure, it was blowing these people's minds. And they were you know, they have full access to the internet, but even they are confused. But also full access to the internet. So I interviewed the CEO of Dame Products, mm. the vibrator company. Love Dame. Al is amazing. The restrictions that are placed on female pleasure are so extreme that w you don't really have the same access. It isn't as normalized because you're allowed to advertise for condoms, but if it says ribbed for her pleasure, that's illegal. There's there's so that's much so censorship that's happening yeah. online right now that it actually isn't that shocking that it still feels um, that there's still an air of shame. Yeah. Because we see ads for erection pills or a lot of stuff geared toward men and not for women. So it still does feel a little shame-based. Yeah. And it's also that's who ran the world for and continues to run the world. Yeah, who ran like the world for the world. hundreds yeah, yeah, and thousands yeah, yeah. of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, the idea of to procreate, you need the male orgasm, but you do not need the female orgasm for procreation. Yeah. Now, theoretically, I've heard that the female orgasm actually like does theoretically push sperm toward the uterus right but but just let's for the purposes okay. of this assume male orgasms are prized because that's how you get babies yeah that makes total sense that a, then a vibrator company that's just for female pleasure which has nothing to do with procreative sex which the puritans who founded this which also country, by the way works for couples that aren't just heterosexual cis you know male female of course. I think we're like just, it's, yeah, yeah, it's still rooted in this idea of sex is for procreation. That's just what it's for. 
So annoying. And I say this as someone who made a baby with sex, which is, still blows my mind. Oh my gosh, you talking about masturbating while pregnant had me literally laughing on the plane. Oh yeah, I forget what I said, but just that you hope that she's kind of like off in a far off land. Oh like yeah, on a, she on goes a away. She, she goes, goes away in a cl- she goes away in a cloud when I was masturbating when I was pregnant, and then she comes back. It's a very weird. I mean, being pregnant is so interesting and weird. Your body is your body, but it's not your body. And I was pregnant for a very short period of time, and the crazy craziest thing that ever happened to me was two days after I got pregnant I started having insane body dysmorphia but I didn't know I was pregnant and it like no it was like the scariest thing that's ever happened to me like I would look in the mirror you've ever been on mushrooms yeah you know when you're on mushrooms and you look in a mirror and like you know it's you but you look grotesque like you just can't figure it out that was me every waking moment oh my god to the point where I started emailing people like I was like I don't know it's like something is wrong whoa and then when I figured out I was pregnant I was like holy shit like it literally was immediate it was the craziest craziest thing that I've ever experienced yeah that's wild yeah absolutely wild so when (laughs) women talk about pregnancy being a trip I'm like yeah and in my case it felt literal yeah it happened for that's so interesting and this was like day two right yeah day two yeah nuts it's all wild full nuts Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break and say thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show. It's a labor of love and a fully independent show, and you can share your appreciation by giving it five stars or dropping me a review, which takes less than a minute. And I love them, and I read them, and you'll put a smile on my face. And who doesn't want that? And if that's too much, maybe just share this episode with a friend. Okay, that's it. Let's get back to the show. You made a show that in at one point you talked about was the intention was to be like a takedown of love and romantic obsession. Yes. Do you still feel that way? Yeah. Yes, I do. Well, it's complicated. We never got this in the show because the show became so much more about, in a good way, mental health. But one of the original inspirations for what Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was, was this TED Talk by this, I want to say she's a biological anthropologist named Helen Fisher, who Mm -hmm. has studied love, and she's put people in love under MRIs. And in this TED Talk, she talks about how when you are in love, and and this is, we're talking about like, you can't eat, you think about this person all the time. Is that love or is that lust? So, no. So it's commonly, it's basically having a crush, right? Yeah, okay, crush. But we call it falling in love. Sure, yes. So the kind of scientific-y term for it is limerence. Mm -hmm. It's the actual term for being in the throes of obsession. And when you scan someone's brain, it's it's akin to someone having obsessive compulsive disorder and being on, and or being on cocaine. Yeah. Because your serotonin levels drop and your dopamine spikes when you think about this person. Or when you're around this person. Yeah. And so, sorry, side note is someone with low serotonin, which is why I'm on Prozac. <laughs> That's why love was particularly, falling in love was particularly, like, disastrous for me. Because yeah. if my serotonin's already low and then it dropped, it would I be truly even needed these people to complete who I was. That's, that is, no wonder your 20s were brutal yes. for dating like, yeah that's why that, they, they stick that's why they really really stuck with me I don't know falling in love is but I also fell in love with my husband and I felt limerence for my husband really? and I did and for me the way I felt limerence was though like the constant fear it was gonna go away like mm. I never I had to ease into not feeling that way kind of you didn't trust that it was gonna work out no 
whoa. But when that's did also, that go away? Mm, when, okay, a uh, couple months after we said we loved each other, we went rock climbing and rappelling because mm-hmm. he liked the outdoors and I pretended to. And Yeah, I was like, wow, I didn't I, see that for you. I went rock climbing and it was actually pretty fun. And then, but re- the rappelling part, I kept bumping into the rocks and I was like, <gasps> ow, ow, ow. And I realized after that day, if he can love me, even after he's watched me do outdoorsy stuff and get banged up, maybe this is, I don't need to worry anymore. Mm. It didn't affect, it It moved, I think at that point, into a different kind of limerence. Yeah. Because like, basically this idea that love conquers all is really, it's like really problematic because having a crush on someone or falling in love with someone, sometimes they're also a good person for your long-term happiness and sometimes mm-hmm. they aren't. Yeah. And Mother Nature, Helen Fisher says in her talk, Mother Nature doesn't care if you're happy. Mother Nature just wants you to reproduce. Mm. And that's even that's that's a a kind of base thing for cis people, trans people, gay people, straight people. It's like at the base of it, at the like lizard brain of it is like theoretically reproduction, I guess, at the very, very, very lizard brain. Uh, I'm not an expert. I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm so curious if that's still true. Sex has so many other purposes. But anyway, that's what Helen Fisher says in this talk. And this idea of no matter what causes it, that it's something almost involuntary that happens that also is a little bit based in the thrill of the chase. Mm. It's a little bit of a mating dance. And it's why people who seem out of reach are very attractive is because totally. we are it's that dopamine yeah it's like hit. why it's why romantic comedies aren't ever about them living happily ever after we like watching the will the they or won't they yeah it's yeah. like embedded in our dna to like the chase because that's falling in love mm-hmm. that's thrilling that's that i don't know i guess helen fisher would say that reproduction urge again i'm super behind on the science so i could fine, be very wrong but this is what she says in that ted talk so i think it depends on the person if you're falling in love with a person who ultimately makes your life better and is a good person it's very romantic if you're falling in love with a toxic person who maybe mirrors some toxic patterns you've had or a toxic pattern with your parents you've had yeah maybe that's not so good right and it kind of seems like you had that a little bit when you were younger and then you had a moment where you say you decided to opt out of the fairy tale yeah I really it's partial part of it is luck I fell in love with a good person but I think maybe part of the reason I fell in love with that was in reaction to shittiness and for the first time I was maybe attracted to someone who had a healthy way of looking at things. Mm. Yeah, I relate to that. I like recently just kind of took myself out of the game. I got off all dating apps. I'm mm-hmm. just like not as interested. Not that I'm not interested. I'm just not participating in kind of the game part. Mm-hmm. And I do think dating and, and love has been gamified in a certain to a certain extent. Oh my gosh, the all of it. It's the, a lot. The, the game, the apps, the... It's like gambling in so many ways. And I felt like I was kind of daisy chaining from situation to situation. (laughs) And it was, I felt that kind of um, dopamine rush, adrenaline, that, that, and it felt toxic. So I just kind of stopped. And part of it was also just hitting such a low, low, low point that I was forced to deal with my feelings of inadequacy to deal with my feelings of like just like not being good enough and trauma from you know middle school that has like stayed with things like that and I do think weirdly confronting that has made me just a better partner like I don't know who I'm going to end up with next but 
falling in love with myself made it a lot easier to just walk away from the game of dating and also made me excited for like whoever comes next. As RuPaul said, you can't love yourself. How the hell are you going to love somebody else? That's what he says at the end of every episode. That's a great... Although yeah. I think that's wrong in that if you can't love yourself, you all, you could absolutely love someone else. Yes. It's really how how the hell are you going to healthily yeah. love Be somebody a, else? a participant in that. Yeah. I, I, I fully agree with that. I have some questions, some speed round cues. Great, I love it. What's your favorite killer move? Like a move that you make that always works on your husband, I guess. Oh, for like sex and love? Well... It could also, it didn't have to be. I mean, yes, for most people, it's more normally like, how do you slide into the DMs or? Yeah, because the two times that I ever asked out guys, I was turned down. <gasps> so. Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. So my killer move is being a woman in comedy. <laughs> Again, this is like, I haven't been single since my early 20s. So I I don't. The two, I'm. I'm. Yeah. No, they, I asked them out and they turned. No, I think three, three guys. I asked out three guys. They all turned me down. They just said, no, thank you. They were like, uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I am mad. So <laughs> what's my killer move is I have no idea. <laughs> I love it. Okay. What makes for a killer date? An effortless, effortless conversation. I love that. Yeah. Effortless conversation with revelations sprinkled into it. Yes. Cosine. Yeah. Date killer. A guy who makes an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> for how much he owes, how much you owe him. Oh my God. <laughs> 325 that's disgusting for a slice of wonder bread and a banana Ugh. also i don't even think that's accurate no that would be way less way less yeah right you it would be well a but no but okay so a banana a good banana are we up to a dollar 25 for like we, organic bananas are we going for that though she's got wonder bread a slice of bread i don't know man yeah i no, don't know either is high absolutely insane what's one thing that you're working on to improve your romantic relationships and I said um, that, that made it sound like there are many that I meant. Yeah. One. Variety. <laughs> I can't, got, got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> What's one thing in your self-love practice? I'm reading, I have a workbook called the Self-Compassion Workbook. And I've slowly cool. been going through it. That's so cool. And it's really interesting because this workbook talks about how self-compassion is different from self-esteem because self-esteem is rooted in, I am smart. I am good at this. I'm as opposed to radical self-compassion, which is no matter what, I love myself. Wow. It's giving yourself the unconditional love that a parent should have for their child. Oh, interesting. I always thought self-esteem was based on the promises you keep with yourself. This says like self-esteem is is almost... Um, about qualities in yourself, whereas self-compassion is, is, is about, I love myself no matter what. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty hard. Yeah, I was like, I don't know about, yeah. Why do you, why do you think I got a workbook? <laughs> yeah, like, send me that Amazon link. Yeah. <laughs> or, or It's called, small I think, the link. self-compassion workbook. That's cool. Okay, and then the, the final question that I ask everybody, what's the best love advice you've ever been given? Hmm. I feel like all the advice I got was shit. Alternatively, um, since you have been in like a really great, healthy, happy marriage and relationship for 15 years, if there's something that you think would be like a tip to give to somebody else. A, a person who makes you not only better, but more you. Mm. Like the best version of yourself in a way that feels yourself, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. Go with the person where not They're only They're not trying you- to change you. They're not trying to change you. They just bring out the best in you in a way that makes you happy. 
That is goals. That's that's kind of, and no one ever necessarily said that to me. Right. So I'm saying it to me now. You go home, you're like, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in love with Rory. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting. The, the, great, we can end now. That's all I wanted. <laughs> if people want to find more of you, where can they find you? I would suggest, like, I know I keep mentioning it, and it sounds really weird, but I just read it. I loved your book. I, I, I love I, that you love the book. Thank you so much. I released it in the thick of the pandemic. I, it's so It was great. released in a vacuum. I'm so glad you read it. I, I That means so much to me. So read the book. You can go to my Instagram. Rachel does stuff. Amazing. Guys, yeah. get the get the book. Okay, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was a blast. I truly landed and like immediately texted Sarah and was like, I'm in love with Rachel. She's like, yeah, duh. Hey guys, a big thank you to Maddie for sharing her story with us, Rachel Bloom for her incredible conversation, and to Higher Love Vibes for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check them out on Instagram at at Higher Love Vibes and to enter to win one of their wands by signing up for my email list. As always, thanks again for listening and see you next Tuesday.